got a testimony to share. Is that all right? Um, everyone know Lou Nelson? Lou Nelson um, helped decorate all of this. She's the one who drove uh, the decorating. But I don't know if many of you know, but Lou was diagnosed with Parkinson's uh, about five or six years ago. And uh, she's um, been going back to get checkups and and uh, she was really afraid that it was getting worse la during this year. Um, and the amazing thing is she had a scan, a, a full, what is it, MR, MRI scan? MRI, that's it, MRI scan. She had a, f a full MRI scan a couple of weeks ago and the, Paul was telling me on Wednesday night that he's been praying for Lou and really felt that God wanted to heal her, wanted to... Um, heal her Parkinson's and her health issues and he really felt it on his heart to pray for her and he's been doing that for weeks and weeks and weeks this year and um, she got her scan done and the doctor rang her on Wednesday and said that you won't believe this there is no sign of Parkinson's on your scan none at all how incredible is that just uh, amazing what God is doing. And I, I just think it's just a, a sign for us to be encouraged. It's been a tough year. It's been a difficult year. It's been a challenging year. Amen. But God is still God. He's still alive. He's still working. He's still moving. He's still amazing. And he's still doing things that no one else can do, doing the impossible. So I encourage you. To, hope it builds your faith, encourages you in your faith. Um, to, to know that God is still working and you can still keep believing for those things that you, you need in your life. Amen? Let's pray. <coughs> God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your, your word says that it will never come back void. And Lord, I pray right now that as, as I preach what I feel you've placed on my heart, that you would speak into all our hearts here in this place today and speak into us in such a way that it would not just be words but it would be transformative God that it would transform our lives into the very image of your son we ask you this in Jesus name amen you know I've been speaking most of you would know I've been speaking about the amazing uh, topic that God wants to have a relationship with us I, I don't know about you but it's something that over the last few weeks or months that even during lockdown was something that I became amazed by. We, we talk about God wants to have a relationship with you and sometimes I think we can take for granted what it really means. That, that God wants to have relationship with us. We say it to people, you know, God wants to have a relationship with you and, and, and it sounds nice, but we, I think sometimes we, we dumb it down to our relationship with each other, but we have to understand that the God of the universe, the God who created everything, everything, that there is nothing here amongst us or beyond the stars that he has not put together, is interested in you and me interested in us so much that he would want not just to say oh i'm interested in those people but he would say i actually want to have a relationship with those people how incredible is that 
The passage I first started this topic with is in um, Isaiah 43. If we can have it up on the screen, that would be great. No, it's not, no. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Just pop it up there. There it is. No, that's not the one. That's the one. Isaiah 40, verse 13. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Now this passage is very famous, isn't that right? We love it. We love it because we go, oh, we can rise up with eagles' wings. We sang it today beautifully. Was that planned? You read my notes? No. But the fact is we, we love it and we look at it and we go, Oh, God, help me rise up with eagle's wings. I want to rise up with eagle's wings. I want to fly like the eagles over my problems and all my rubbish and all the stuff that's going on in my life. And I, I, as I think about that, that's what we look at this passage as. And I, I think when we look at it from our perspective, we get the wrong picture of what God is trying to say to us. You know, the problem with so much of our... And not saying in this church, but in the preaching that you hear in the church today, is because a lot of the preaching and the worship um, songs and all of that are focused on us. It's all about us. You know, we talk about the fact that come to God and He'll fix all your problems and everything will be perfect in your life, or He will give you the life that you always wanted. That God wants to bless you. He, he wants to fill your bank account with money. He wants to give you a house. He wants to give you a husband that's amazing and incredible. He wants to do all these things he, that God wants to pour into your life. But it's all focused about us, what we get, what we want, what we need. Isn't it really interesting? This is Christmas right now. But the two Christmas events the major Christmas or two Chris, Christian events, not Christmas events, but the two major Christian events in the year are Christmas and Easter. And I, I became aware of this this week that those two events are actually the two most materialistic events in our calendar. Isn't that right? That they're all about us getting stuff. We've turned what God gave us as an amazing gift to invite us into relationship that he would come to earth at christmas we celebrate that he came to earth to give us relationship with god that at easter he died on a cross so that we could have relationship with god but we've turned them into these materialistic getting feasts where jesus is overshadowed by father christmas and the easter bunny instead of being the priority isn't it a reflection on the way we view God? A reflection on the way we do life, that it would be all about us. Now, in John 10.10, 10, I often hear people preach this passage. My clicker's not working, Nath, so you need to help me. In John 10.10. 10. Beautiful. Thank you. I'll have to throw it out. You have to stick with me, Nath. I often hear this passage preached, and it's all often been used by people who preach this 
me-centered gospel or a prosperity type gospel and they've used this passage and they say the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy but i came that they may have life and have it abundantly some would translate it some translations say have life and life to the full and i've often heard people use this passage to equate abundant life as being about the things that we accumulate here on earth. God wants to give you abundant life. He wants to give you a house and a car and, and prosperity and this and that and, and all of that sort of stuff. But the reality is when what Jesus is talking about, because if we know what Jesus came to do, what Jesus is talking about, the abundant life that he is declaring is not stuff. Because Jesus said himself, don't store up for yourself stuff here on earth where it will rust and, and fail, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. What is the abundant life that Jesus is talking about? It's simply consider what did he come to do? He came to restore us back to relationship with God. The abundant life he is talking about is the amazing abundance we can find in having a relationship with God that's what he's called us to it's a, it's a relationship where God is with us wherever we go and whatever we go through I love the passage in Isaiah 43 where it says now but now thus says the Lord he who created you O Jacob he who formed you O Israel this is what God says to us fear not for I have redeemed you I have called you by my name, you are mine. How incredible is that? God wants you to fear not about anything because he's called you by name. He knows your name and he says, you are mine. What's he saying? You belong to me. You're my children. And then he goes through this next part and he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through, the, through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. In this passage, the amazing thing about this passage is that God says we are his, but most importantly, he says, I am with you. It's really interesting that you, if you notice that what God is saying here is that he will walk through anything with us. The good and the bad. So when you go through those difficult times, and difficult times will happen, being a Christian does not make you void of difficult times. Does not make you, you uh, like, unable to, like, that you should just always be flying on eagle's wings and you should just be floating through life and doing all that stuff and living in healing all the time and all of that sort of stuff. Life happens. Sin is real. We live in a broken world. And God wants you to know that through all of that, He is with you. And He won't let those things overcome you. Why? Not because you have anything to, to give into the situation, but because He is with you. We can walk through the fire and the flames. We can walk through the river and the, the waters and they won't overwhelm us. Why? Because 
He promises to be with us. You see, the gospel is not about us. It's all about Him. He is the reality. As Christians, that's why our relationship with God is what matters most. It's the thing that we should cherish and value above all things because that's what God created us for. First and foremost, He created us for a relationship with Him. This is, this is something I want you to get into your spirit to understand. That God created you for relationship. Full stop. I can stop there. That should be enough. Right there, it should be enough. But we like to add things, don't we? We like to go further. But the fact is God created you for relationship with him. Done. That's all you need. You don't need any more. You don't need stuff. You don't need a career. You don't need those things. Those things do happen as a result and as a, as a flow on as you make him a priority in your life. They will come to pass. They will happen. It, it will will. I'm not saying that those things shouldn't happen. They will, but they are only a result of your relationship with God. That's when they really count. You see, when we make knowing God and having relationship with God a priority in our life, that's when life really starts to get exciting. Jesus calls it abundant life. That's what he declares it as. But that abundant life is seeing the value of our relationship with God but when we see the value and the, the incredibleness, amazingness, I don't know how to describe it, give it, the words can't describe how important it is, but when we understand how important our relationship with God is, then our life begins to fire on all cylinders. But when we realise how important relationship with God is, then we actually begin to understand how important relationship is in any situation. That's when we begin to understand how important my relationship is with my wife. When I understand how important my relationship is with God. Just this week, I came across a, an old mission statement from our church when we first started. One of the first ones that we wrote. And I found it really interesting to read because it talks about this concept of the importance of relationship so i want to i want to show it to you today in uh, it says we are a community of jesus followers passionate about knowing experiencing and living in the love of god we believe this can be found in uh, this can only be found in the context of relationship firstly with god and then with each other in everyday living. Our community is committed to adding value to the world we live in, no matter gender, race, age, or belief system in the example of Jesus. We believe this can only be found in the context of relationship. This this experience, this abundant life, 
that we have that Jesus offers us can only be found in a living, trusting relationship with him. But when we, ex- when we experience that relationship, the thing that we discover is it can't be contained because it's abundant life. It can't be held within. It, it can't be left just between us and Jesus. It has to be it has to affect the world we live in. It has to flow out of us to those around us. It, transformed, it has to transform the world we live in. We saw this in the early church. They had this experience with Jesus and, uh, and they had relationship with him and it couldn't be contained. Within 200 years, the early church had changed the world they lived in. You know, this week I had the privilege of going to a funeral of the wife of the pastor uh, of the church my mum got saved in became a Christian in on Monday um, she passed away and um, we hadn't seen her for many years but we were able to go to the funeral and it was incredible to, to go along to it um, because they shared about her life now, I've shared the story about our family. We grew up in the Italian Pentecostal church. And it's a pretty wild place, very legalistic. Um, but when they prayed, they really prayed. And at, as a young boy, I didn't understand a lot of what was going on. Um, but now I, I look back on it and I, I see great value in many of the things that was happening. And, and um, it was actually the church I got called by God in one day sitting in the church watching the pastor preach and uh, God saying to me one day you'll do that and uh, so it's a significant part in our life and for the first time I heard Sorella Victoria's story we say Sorella because in that church everyone was sister or brother and so uh, she was the pastor's wife and she was an amazing woman she was a force of nature. She was a big woman. And uh, you got scared if she came towards you because you didn't know what was going to happen. But we'd have these prayer meetings, and the prayer meeting only got started once Cyrilla Victoria's got started. Because she would get going, and she'd start, we'd call her the fire engine, and she'd start, she'd grab the seat in front of her, and she'd go, go, it was pretty exciting. As, as a 10 year old kid, it was pretty exciting. But, um, I heard her story and I heard that after the war in Italy, she was from the same state my mum was from in a little village like my mum. A missionary came to their village and shared about Jesus, not a Catholic missionary, uh, a Protestant missionary, evangelical missionary, came and shared about Jesus. And the village, there was an amazing move of God in their village uh, and they, they, many of pe- the people in the village turned to Jesus and became Christians and became, came into a relationship with Jesus. And it transformed their village. And her and her husband, who grew up in that village, um, made a decision to give their whole life to Jesus, to, that they would do whatever he wanted. They actually, for a time, went to be missionaries in Uruguay. But they were fully consumed with Jesus. They just wanted to do what he would do. And then they came to Australia and they started the Italian Pentecostal Church in St. Peter's here in Adelaide. 
And that happened to be the church that, as I said, my mum became a Christian in. But this woman was fully committed to God. She, she had a trusting relationship with Jesus. She just wanted to do what Jesus would call her to do, however she could do it. Her and her husband, they helped our family immensely. If it wasn't for them, who knows what would have happened as my mum got discarded from her family for changing her religion. But they looked after us, they cared for us. The reality that of what hit me is, if it wasn't for this couple who were so passionate about their relationship with Jesus that they would come halfway across the rail to start a church, this church, the poor church, wouldn't even be here. Because that's what is possible when you have a relationship with Jesus. That is the abundant life that he gives. A life that their life, the abundant life they experienced, didn't, wasn't just contained to them. It, it, it overflowed to Uruguay and to Australia and has changed many, many people's lives. This is the abundant life that we have and this abundant life is meant to be shared. See, the idea is that when we have fellowship with God, it improves and enhances our relationship with each other. Philippians 2, which is interestingly the um, theme of the youth group here in the church this year, says this, this statement, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And the, Paul, the writer, says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any encouragement from living in relationship with Jesus? Well, if there is, then let that flow out to the rest of your life. By agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. In other words, just be yourself. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests. It's not just about me, 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 me. But take an interest in others too. Why? Because that's the attitude of Jesus, the one we have relationship with. I've been talking about it a lot lately, but when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, in other words, when we allow him to sit on the throne of our hearts, so that he has rule and control. We start walking with him or walking in the spirit. We walk in step with God. And when we do that, 
our life starts to produce the fruit that we were created to produce. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things. The reality is, if we have a healthy relationship with Jesus, then it has to have a healthy effect on our relationship with each other. Because when we're close to Jesus, then we're becoming more like him. And when we're more like him, it has to benefit those around us. To do this, it means making Jesus your reference point for everything. When we do this as the body of Christ, that's when the church is at its best. I want to explain how this works in, with an illustration. I read it this week that um, when you have a piano, now we have an electric piano so it's always in tune, I think. I don't know much about music. Let's leave it up to these two in our family. But I read that when you have a piano, you can't tune a piano with another piano. So you can't get a piano there and, and, and press the notes and then tune the other piano. It's almost impossible to do so, to tune one piano with another piano. But if you're a ch piano tuner, you, do you know what they do? They get a tuning fork. And they use a tuning fork to tune the piano. They might have a number of them, but that's... So they'll tune one piano and they'll tune it to the tuning fork and they'll get it all done. And then they'll go to the other piano and they'll tune it to the tuning fork. And then what happens miraculously, amazingly? Then both pianos are in tune with one another. Take it to our relationship with each other. If we want to be in tune with each other, the thing that we need is an external thing to tune ourselves to. Jesus is our tuning fork. If we want to live in harmony with one another, we need to tune ourselves to Jesus. What's that mean? Learning from him and tuning our life to the way he wants us to live our life. See, when we're tuned to him, then we become tuned to each other. If, we try, if I try to tune Julie up with myself... <laughs> don't say that <laughs> what I'm trying to do is make Julie what I want Julie to be not what Jesus wants Julie to be isn't that right problem with many of us in church life and I'll put my hand up here is we want people to change because it makes us feel better rather than saying I, my responsibility is tune myself to Jesus their responsibility is to tune themselves to Jesus. And if we're all tuning ourselves to Jesus, we're in harmony with one another. Isn't that right? Let's take this a bit deeper. Want to take this illustration a bit deeper? Anyone ever been to listen to an orchestra? Yeah, at the beginning of, a, at the, of the concert, the conductor will get up and tap his baton on the music stand uh, and there will be one instrument that blows a note. Does anyone know what it is? The oboe. The oboe will blow a note and the rest of the orchestra will tune itself to the oboe. Interesting insight into that is the reason it's the oboe is for the oboe to change its key or whatever, it actually has to change the reed and it's a big effort. 
So it's almost like it's unchangeable, a bit like Jesus. He is constant. He never changes. He is always the same. And when the rest of the orchestra tunes itself to the oboe, when they play, they are all in tune with each other. What does it create? What's it called? A symphony. What's a symphony? It's a harmony. It's a, a harmony of sounds. But if they tune their, themselves to each other, to other instruments or to the, what they think they should be tuned to, what do you get when the orchestra plays together? It's called a cacophony. Anyone heard a cacophony? You might hear that when I sing on the front row. But uh, it's just a, a mess of noise. But the, the key is that when all the instruments tune to the oboe, Jesus is our oboe. There's a new song. Who knows? Might take off a new meme somewhere. Jesus, our oboe. <laughs> but when he is the one we tune ourselves to, then we're all in tune with each other and we create a beautiful noise. A symphony, it's called. As members of Jesus' body, we need to be tuned to Jesus. When each of us is focused on Jesus, we become a community where anything is possible. In the New Testament, when it talked about the early church, it described this unity or this fellowship or oneness as koinonia. Anyone heard that? It's the Greek word, koinonia. And what it's all about is that they shared everything in common. What was the common thing they shared? Jesus. Jesus was the common thing that they shared. And as they shared a trusting relationship with Jesus... Jesus gave them abundant life and it changed the world that they were lived in. Our problem, as I said earlier, our problem is we love to add stuff. We're not happy with just Jesus. We need more. It's the, the reality of what we're like as humans. And when we put our eyes on anything but Jesus, things get messy. Things get weird. Things aren't the way they should be. You see, some of us, and I won't say it about this church, but you know, some will go, you know, yes, it's all about Jesus, but Jesus determined that it should be predestination. And others go, no, it's all about free choice. Jesus says it, and we get focused on these different things, and we get caught up in them, and we get so focused on them, we forget who it's actually all about. Jesus. Sometimes it's, you know, I talk about possessions and prosperity doctrine, and we might get caught up in that, but then the other end of the spectrum, oh, well, Jesus wants to keep you poor. Neither are really true. There's some balance in the middle, but the balance is found by focusing on Jesus. Because sometimes Jesus may take us through times of poverty and difficulty, but we need to understand he walks through it with us, and we will get through it. Sometimes he might... Paul said, sometimes I had abundance and had heaps. And sometimes God might bless us with heaps for a reason, for a purpose, but he walks us through it. He said, sometimes we can get caught up with, oh, our church plays too many of the old songs. Uh, we want new songs. Or the other way around, church plays too many new songs. We want some old songs. And we get caught up in that, how church should look. 
And we get caught up in looking at the church rather than looking at the head of the church, who is Jesus. This might be a bit more difficult in this day and age, but sometimes there's the battle between left wing and right wing. Isn't that right? Political views. The church should get involved in politics and, and make a difference in the world and all of that stuff. And then others going, no, we should stay away from it as far as we can. Or I'm left wing, you're right wing and all of that stuff. But as long as we're focusing on that and tuning ourselves to that, we become a cacophony rather than tuning ourselves to Jesus and what he wants from us. We used to sing a song a few years back, it's all about Jesus. He is the center of everything. Our job is to keep our eyes on him. I want to just finish by quickly sharing how our relationship with Jesus should affect our relationships with each other and how we can learn from our relationship with Jesus. You see, our relationship with Jesus is the template for our relationship with each other. The way Jesus relates to us and we relate to him, we should do the same with each other. And I want to give you quickly just three simple things how this works. Number one is authenticity. With Jesus, what you see is what you get. When Jesus came into the world, he declared very clearly, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. Isn't that right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus makes it very clear who he is. He is the saviour of the world. He is the son of God. He is God. So he is very clear. He's authentic. He doesn't mince his words. He's straight up. If that means he is the son of God, then we are his, his followers. We are his children. And our relationship is based on that authenticity. For us, we need to show the same sort of authenticity with each other. Stop wearing masks and being real about who we are. Being honest about where we're at. Letting people know when we're struggling. Letting people know when they hurt us or when they do something that we feel uncomfortable with. See, real authenticity builds trust. When you have authentic relationships, it builds trust amongst each other where everything is safe. But when we're not authentic, when people discover what we said is not actually the way we live our life or, or what we promised we failed to fulfill, what does it do? It breaks our trust. It pulls our trust down. When, but the thing about that, in times like that, as Katie preached so powerfully last week, that's why forgiveness is so important. Because the reality is, we're never going to be perfect with each other. People are going to hurt you. But that's where forgiveness and communication comes in. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults. How good's that? That's not your pastor saying it, that's the Bible. Make allowances for each other's faults. Almost goes, expect people not to be perfect. Expect people to make mistakes and forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The way Jesus treats us in relationship, we should treat others. Jesus forgives us, so we should forgive 
others. I won't go any more into that. If you want to hear good stuff about that, listen to Katie's sermon from last week. It's really good. The next thing is dependence. There it is. You see, we are open to real fellowship when we realise we can't do it alone. God created you to need and depend on him first and foremost, but secondly, that we would depend on each other. The great example of this, and I've said it here before and I'll say it again, in the Garden of Eden, it was God and Adam. And many of us think, well, if it's just God and me, everything's okay. So it was just God and Adam. And what did God say? It's not good that man should be alone. So God created us to depend on each other. Yes, we depend on him first and foremost, but by depending on him, we should then, that should outflow to the rest of us where we also rely and depend on each other. Some scriptures for that. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says, The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. Can't do it without you. I may be the pastor, but I, I just have one part to play. I depend on you as much as you depend upon me. Romans 12.6 says, live in harmony with each other. What's that? Think of the symphony. How do you live in harmony with each other? By being in tune with Jesus. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Got any ordinary people here? Yes. And don't think you know it all. Amen? We need each other. We can't do it alone. The last thing is grace and mercy. Jesus shows us great grace. And it's a beautiful gift that God gives us. But we need to also understand that it's not just grace as a gift. Grace is given to us as an example for us to follow. Especially in our relationships with each other. We must continually remind ourselves that there go I, but for the grace of God. Oops. Galatians 6, 2 and 3 says, Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of grace and love. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourselves. You are not that important. It's not about us. It's not about us. You see, the key to right relationship with each other is a right relationship with Jesus. And a right relationship comes by putting our full focus on him. In other words, tuning our life to him. Keeping in step with him. We've talked about it. Letting him sit on the throne of our hearts. Walking in the spirit, which is walking in step with Jesus wherever we go. We've added a new thing to that, tuning ourselves to him that we would tune our lives to his life, that what he would want, we would want. This is the key to living in right relationship, not just with God, but with each other. This is the koinonia, the beautiful symphony that God wants to use to bless not just us here in the church, 
but bless the world around us. That the church, as we tune ourselves individually to Jesus, would create a symphony that the world cannot ignore. A noise that it cannot ignore. That's why this Sunday, this Wednesday at Pop-Up, we want to create a symphony that the people who attend here can't ignore. Now, last night I just popped in quickly to have a look at the gingerbread making night that Emily ran. And it was just beautiful. I just looked across this place. It was full of wi- filled with women, all just working away and chatting and talking. And it was just amazing. It was a beautiful symphony that we could create together. But to do this, we need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. If we're going to be in tune with him, we need to fix out our, fixate ourselves on him. I'll finish with this passage in Hebrews, which we all probably know. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance a race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, I looked up looked it up i don't often read this translation but i looked it up in the passage translation the passage what did i say oh the passion translation i looked it up in the passion translation and it says it really well as for us we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds so we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that so that we so easily fall into then we will then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has been already marked out before us we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who led us forward into faith's perfection. Sometimes to fix our eyes on Jesus, we need to, as it says here, so we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. I have no doubt that there are people here that life is not easy and people have hurt you and there are wounds that are deep. But Jesus encourages us, take your eyes off your wounds, take your eyes off your stuff and fix them on me because I am the author and perfecter of your faith. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the one who has abundant life for you. But it takes a decision and a choice to take our eyes off ourselves sometimes and fix them on the one who can help us and who has everything that we need. Let's pray.
Lord God, I just pray. The word that we have today is fairly simple and straightforward. It's all about fixing our eyes on you, tuning ourselves to you. And I just pray for every person in this place, wherever they're at right now, that you would help them to get their eyes back on you. That they'd understand that it is all about you, Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about flying on eagles' wings. It's about waiting on you. It's about waiting for you. It's about walking with you and being in tune with you. The great blessing of that is things like flying on eagles' wings. It is things like great blessings, but it is also the strength to just get through what we're getting through today, whatever it is. Because what's most important is that you are with us. So help us stay close to you and stay with our eyes fixed on you. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.